Stories change the world all the time. Stories make the world, and stories change the world all the time. Stories can be medicine, or stories can be poison. On this week's episode of You Are a Storyteller, Jesse and Brian discuss the power and importance of storytelling. So, stories. Mm -hmm. I think it might be easy for people... Look, we're pretty obsessed with this stuff. Yeah, okay. And that's, so we talk about it a lot. And we that's think fair about to say. it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, we've dedicated huge amounts of our lives to this stuff. Yeah. And so I think when we talk about them, there's like a reverence for stories. Um, I, I feel like, I mean, you've taught me a ton about this. You've known this way longer than I have. But like the importance of stories, what stories do for us and what stories, the impact that they can have both good and bad to ma- stories as medicine or stories as poison in our society and around us. Because mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of times, again, the problem with stories, one of the biggest like m- uh, mistakes I think that was made with stories is stories became kids things. Yeah. Right. Uh, and as a result of that, I think when we talk about stories, people go like, yeah, stories, stories, stories. And they don't really understand how important stories are. No. So this week we're going to talk about how important stories are. And hopefully you'll walk away going, I had no idea, um, like the 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 impact that stories have on everything in my life. Yeah, they have a huge impact in ways that people don't. It's so, um, it, it's just so so much a part of our lives. It's invisible to us mm-hmm. how important they are and how much we use them and navigate the world using them and d- psychology. Right? Yeah. You're examining what is the story you believe about yourself? What is the story you tell yourself? What's the story you tell others? Yeah. Self-perception, right? Everything. This is this is not just obviously the obvious ones I think. That we'll, we can talk on them. We have a bunch of data points and stuff from advertising and, you know, to to propaganda to, you know, um, helpful stories, right? Yeah. Well, I was just telling somebody, I, I may have mentioned it on one of these shows, but it's worth mentioning again, uh, when Sullenberg landed his plane on the Hudson River. So when Sullenberg landed his plane, you know, they hit a, had a bird strike and they, they hit some... Miracle gate. on that. Yeah, they made that yeah. movie, right? So, so uh, yeah, they had a bird strike and he lost an engine or two or whatever it was. And he, and he landed on the Hudson River. And I was watching the news when that happened. And they had another pilot on the phone because Sully was still actually on the plane helping people off the plane or something. But they, so they wanted to talk to somebody, so they found another pilot who had been in an emergency situation. He had landed a plane on its belly in Iowa City. So they were talking to this guy, and this guy says, uh, so, oh, the reporter says, so why was Sully able to do this? How did he know that he could land a plane on the river like that? And, and the guy says, oh, that's because Sully was a crash investigator, so he had more stories in his head than most of us. So he knew what pilots had done wrong and right in, in emergency situations, and so he had more stories. That's that's the value, right? That saved a plane load of people. He had more stories. I love that idea because he had them. It's almost like this is important. I'm going to put that in here. This is important. I'm going to put that in here. Yeah. Like uh, how many times have we been doing something and talking to people and we say, this is how big of a deal this stuff is. If I say the tortoise and the hare, almost everyone all over the place knows exactly what I'm saying. Right. How crazy is that? Yeah. And how old is that story? And what? And also, when's the last time somebody told you that story? Yeah. Ages. However old you are. Yeah. 
at some point when you were little, you heard that story and your brain said, I'm going to hold on to that thing. Yeah. Why? Because of the survival information. And because of that, the story is imparting that survival information. And you're going, I better remember the three pigs because if I ever have a wolf show up at my house, right? Yeah. I need to know that. Right. This is important. Whereas like data points, you know, like um, we've talked to before, like uh, that um, Native American proverb, those who tell stories rule the world. Another way of saying that is whoever tells the best story wins. So like, as you look across the world we're in right now, mm-hmm. for good and for bad, if you're not happy with things, you better become a better storyteller because that's how you actually change things and move things yeah. forward, right? Yeah. Um, let's talk about some just really simple, silly kind of ones. Well, or, before, go ahead. Before, yeah. It reminded me of something I heard on the radio about the, um, and again, I can I, we say this every time, but I really literally have no idea what we talked about on a show, <laughs> I don't know, what yeah. we talked about in real uh-huh. life. Yeah. But um, so I was listening to the radio and they were talking about immunizations. We talked about this in real life. That's right. We're talking about real life. And they were talking about immunizations and how there were people afraid to get their kids immunized because they thought it caused autism. And there's no no there's no data that backs yeah. that up. Right. Mm-hmm. All across the world. They look at it. They go, that's not true. That's not what's happening. Right. It may look like that's what's happening, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. The problem is people have a story in their head. Yep. Right. So the problem is um, it doesn't matter what the science says. Right. The problem is people have a story because, oh, my kid got this vaccination and now he has autism. Right. right? Yeah. And that story is more powerful than any data you can show people. And what was interesting is that the scientists keep they keep throwing out data instead of throwing out a different story. Mm-hmm. Yep. They needed a different story. That's exactly right. And I told you, when you told me that story, I told you the story of what my doctor told us. When, when I, um, we asked our doctor, when you know, our, our, our youngest child would like about that, it was like, we've heard these stories. What's that about? And she goes, well, and, and she's like chief of staff, big deal doctor. And she said, well, all I can tell you is that the only day I cried at work was when I saw a baby with measles. And I was like, okay, got it. That's it. Right. To see somebody as stoic as our doctor, as somebody as professional as our doctor say, I only cried once. Yeah. Do you want to get your child vaccinated? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Right? right. And that was the end of it. She told a better story. Yeah. Right? The, with the context of what we knew about her and how, how professional she is, what a big deal she was. So for her to just take a pause and say that, we were like, got it. Yeah. So... Right? Tell a better story. Yeah. And it was funny because as soon as you told me about that story, I told you, you know what my doctor said, blah, yeah. blah. And she, and I didn't, at the time, you're not aware of these things. No, at least not. I'm not, you know, I'm Most just going like, aren't. oh, that was convinced. She convinced me not by saying, well, let me talk to you about statistics. Mm-hmm. Right? You got to understand, Jesse, there's a blah, blah, probability, blah, blah. No, she's like, let me tell you about the only day I ever cried at work. Yeah. Got it. I'm on board. And that works because of ner- mirror neurons. Right. And so, Mirror neurons are a big deal. It's why we can empathize with each other, right? And and for those of us, you know, just to make sure I get this right, I actually pulled up a quick definition of it. And so mirror neurons are the brain feature that makes empathy possible. Mirror neurons are active, uh, activated both when one does something or when one observes somebody else doing the same thing. Thus, they represent the neurological mechanism that allows us to put ourselves in the, uh, in others, in the shoes of others. This is why you jump at movies. Right. Right. Somewhere in your brain, your brain goes, oh, that's happening to me. Right. Right. And so if we know we're wired, we're wired that when we see things, there's a part of us that thinks it's happening. Right. So that's why it makes it fun. Right. Right. Yeah. But that means you have a responsibility. 
That's right. Right. So yeah. What are you going to do with that? If you know people are wired like that, and if you know the brain works like that, and that we learn by seeing, right? Yeah. And that we can't help put ourselves in other people's shoes. This is why you can watch a movie about a 70-year-old factory worker in the 1920s and cry and feel like it's about you, right. even though you've not 70, it's not the 1920. Mirror neurons. Well, or you can watch a movie about a fish losing his son. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You probably haven't been a fish. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But yeah. you can, but of course you identify, right? Your mirror neurons are at work. Yeah. And you have to, once you know that, you have a responsibility as a storyteller because you're actually putting people through an actual experience. That's right. Right? Their brain doesn't know the difference between- yeah you know, imagining it and having it happen to yeah. them. You can't uh, turn them on and off. Right. Right. There's an interesting thing, that, a study that they did that um, it's, I'm sure the, the study's right. I don't mean that the study's wrong, but I don't think the study was uh, inclusive enough. So there was a study they did where they, they found that having people read um, literature, like serious literature versus uh, genre fiction, like a, mystery or something that when they read literature it increased their empathy huh. right it increased really? so yeah so there's a study at, i don't know we can look it up but there's a study that showed that oh people increase their empathy by reading literature so but there's a kind of um prejudice or a bias we have towards a certain kind of literature right because my guess is that if you read a bunch of mystery novels, you'd probably be better at solving puzzles, hmm. right? That, yeah, that right, you know what you're I mean? Practicing. Right, yeah. You're, you're, you, yeah, your brain is going through, that's the part of the brain that's being exercised. Yep. So, you know, one kind of story isn't more valuable than another kind of story if it has something to teach you. Sure. Right? Um, Empathy is a great thing to have. It's not the solution to every problem every time. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, right, absolutely. You know, um, so when Sully has those stories in his head, yeah, right, he he can put himself in the position of those pilots. But what saves those people on the plane is not empathy. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's all the information he was gathering through those stories. Yeah. Well, I remember. I don't freak out when it starts to turn. I remember this. Yeah. And it's like that's all in your brain for a reason. And the whole thing is like, if you only get one thing, just it's the big idea is like, the way you get things to stick in people's brains is by telling stories. Mm-hmm. Once you understand that, you can do that to really do awful shit. Yeah, you right? can. Goebbels was amazing at it. Yeah. Right? Like, truly evil people are really, really good storytellers. That's also why, if you want to fight that stuff, you got to be a better storyteller. Well, it's Frank Capra, right? Yep. Frank Capra, you know, legendary filmmaker, who uh, was convinced he had stopped making movies for a while because he was scared, because he had so many successes, he was scared to make movies and... Somebody sort of explained to him that he had a, an, a, a responsibility because he could reach so many people mm-hmm. and that Hitler was in Europe reaching people, yep. you know, with another message. So, that, you know, anyway, convinced him to go back to making movies. But that, it was interesting yeah. that when he saw Lenny Riefenstahl's movie, yep. um, uh, Triumph of the Will, Nazi film saying, we're great. Yep. He looked at that film and he said, oh, they're going to win. Yeah. Think about that. And he was such a good storyteller, and he understood the power of story to the point where he was like, oh, man, they're going to beat us. Right. And the part of that story, like, he, he's he got a really awesome bio, and, and that because it was this older guy that showed up to his house. Yeah. And the older guy said, you know, up until, whatever, a month ago, you were the best storyteller I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but I was just in Germany, and I saw somebody 
better than you. And if you don't go back to work, they're going to win. Right? Yeah. And he was like, oh, shoot. I always thought my stories were about me. Right. And I and I was worried about, you know, oh, making a flop or whatever. And so I kind of, you know, locked myself in my house, hung out with just my friends and was like, I don't want to. And it's like, as soon as you realize like, oh, this is bigger than I am. He's like, I got to go back to work. Yeah. See, Triumph for the Will. What do you think? Oh, these guys aren't playing around. Yeah. They know what they understand how the brain works. They understand how st- how powerful stories are. Yeah, um, it was Lennon or somebody that said that like cinema was the best like invention for controlling the human. Oh yeah, but it was Lennon or Stalin, one of those guys. Um, and here's the funny thing: is like usually evil people get this shit before anybody. That's true. They <laughs> right? do. They um, do. Or so you know. I sometimes I tell the story. I think it's in one of my books. I talk about it. But there's an interesting thing. Uh, there was a story. You know, um, it, there's an interesting thing about. Uh, black history there's a lot of people don't know a lot about it but they all know that there were black people involved in the slave trade because it takes some people off the hook see there were black people he's like okay all (laughs) right i get it but in africa there was a there were black slave catchers right uh who would raid other villages and you know like rival villages and sell to the portuguese or the english or whoever and so uh they didn't know what would happen to them in america that's a different they had a different form of slavery in america than they did but anyway but that's what happened so So, uh, but the, but the people in Africa had a story that they told about a black slave catcher and the black slave catcher, they go, yeah, there's a black slave catcher. And he helped, he helped, uh, I think it was the English catch slaves. And, uh, after a particularly good catch before the ship was going to take off, they celebrated and he got drunk on rum and, uh, he passed out and he woke up in the belly of a slave ship. Right. That's of course the kind of story people would tell in Africa. Right. Be careful. Yeah. Be careful. These guys just want bodies. For someone else, you're going to fall in it. Yeah. 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 And you're going to find yourself chained up next to the people you betrayed, by the way. Right. Yep. (laughs) Right. So just. Can we talk about that a little bit more, if you don't mind? Like, uh, I want people to realize that, like, most of the stuff that you see around you and you just believe is, like, this is how it's always been, is a story someone made up. Right. Can we talk about whiteness? Do you mind? Like, I love that story. You love the, the story. Because of, once you know that story, you go, oh. Yeah, we can talk about it. Like, I, I mean, just think it's such a good example of somebody was told these stories, and mm-hmm. at some point they caught, and they took a while to catch, It too. took a while to catch, yeah. So, yeah, we can talk a little bit about it. There, there uh, a couple of people have written about it. Uh, there's uh, this woman, uh, Jacqueline Batalora, I believe that's her name, uh, who wrote about it. And she talks about, um, because there's no, no such thing as white people in Europe, right? Europe, there's no white people because everybody's white. So people didn't dislike each other because of the their race, although they thought, oh, the Irish are a different race, <laughs> right? Yeah, right, but then yeah. not because of color, right? So, you know, but, you know, the English would fight the French and the, you know, everybody was fighting each other and nobody, there was no unity. There was no whiteness, right? It wasn't until the colonies, people came to the colonies. And um, there were lots of reasons for it. But uh, a lot of them had a lot. One of the big reasons had to do with rebellion. So in the colonies, you had um, you had indentured servitude, right? So you had and indentured servants could be uh, African American people who were free people. They could be Native American people, or they could be poor whites. And indentured servitude meant that you owed somebody money in England or something, or owed somebody money, and so you you paid off your debt by essentially being a slave for seven years right. or something, and yeah. then you would get a plot of land or something. Yeah, it was like that in the Middle East too, I think. It oh, maybe, maybe yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, but 
the the uh, the poor people sometimes would get together because they all had in common, like the man is screwing us. So yeah. so they had that in common. And so after one particularly big rebellion, Bacon's rebellion, um, the 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 elites were like, because it was it lasted about a year, I think, Bacon's rebellion, and they were like, okay, we have to put the kibosh on this. We have to stop this. And the money people in England are like, hey. You can't have this happen. They're like, we're going to work on it. We're going to come up with a divide and conquer strategy. So yeah. so they, they tried a couple of different things to increase their numbers. So this is the 1%, essentially, yeah. saying, how do we get poor pe- some, some of these poor people on our side? Yeah. So they tried uh, sufficiently English-like. That didn't work. <laughs> they tried uh, Christian, but that didn't work because people converted Right, so they'd like, be like, oh, in order to be in the club, you have to be a Christian. You're like, sure, I'm a Christian. Right. Oh, well, this is hard. Yeah, and so eventually they came up English with... English enough. I'd love to have seen that <laughs> path, right? Yeah, so eventually they came up with whiteness. There were a couple of reasons. I mean, the other reason that they wanted to sort of uh, pass some of these laws was that um, uh, the colonies didn't have a lot of women in them. Mostly they mm. were men. So in order to increase their chances with women, they were like, we're going to make it against the law for these guys to be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the woman would be punished as well as the man, you know. If, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so if the English one would have caught, it would have been, oh, you had sex with an English man or you had sex with someone who wasn't English. Right. You'll be punished. Right. But that didn't catch. Right. And then the Christian one didn't catch. Yeah. But the, the color thing caught. But it took a long time because people aren't built that way. We didn't used to care about what color people were. We all think that that's always been. Not really. And not, I want not people in a big to way. take a second and think about that. Think about how much pain and just garbage and craziness there is in the world. Because at some point, someone told that story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's white. Oh, white. Yeah. And right. you're like, and we can go back and trace it. Because didn't you say, like, we found the first time someone yeah, used... Sure. Yeah, Jacqueline Badalora found the, the, the first time whiteness is in a legal document. That's crazy. Yeah. So it didn't exist, and then it did, right? And this put her on this path, and you can look her up. She's, you know, find her. She probably explains it better. But anyway, yeah. um, I'm sort of paraphrasing yeah. what I, I, I've learned from her. But, but um, anyway, that's the deal. So, yeah, that... What was I going to say? You said it took a while, too. It took a while to catch because people aren't wired that way, right? So it took a while. But one of the things that they did is they started giving um, they started giving white people more. They gave them better land. Hmm. Um, they got rid of indentured servitude eventually. And so uh, you were free, but uh, people of color were slaves for life. Right. Right. So, um, so, so then rules started getting added like that. Yeah, and so huh. it's like, oh, oh, and then you, there were, um, uh, you had to be on a slave patrol. So if you're white, you had to be on a slave patrol, meaning you had to look and see if in the middle of the night if anybody had escaped or anything. So it gave all white people power over people of color. So, uh, so even the poorest, you know, white person had somebody they were over, and that made them feel like part of the bigger group. Hmm. Right, like yeah. right. The bigger group didn't care about those poor people, but they could say we're all in the same. And you right. see it working; it works. Yeah, it yeah. still works, yeah. right? It's a perpetual all motion the machine. same stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, that's 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 the history. But of that's that. amazing. Like I, I just want people to go like, oh, the world's because sometimes you you know it's easy to look around and go like, oh, I guess this is just how stuff is. Going. No, it isn't. No, At it some isn't. point, somebody sold you, uh, told you a story. Yeah, good or bad. 
mm-hmm. there's gonna be good things in your life. You go like, I'm really glad that my grandma taught me to like, you know, think of other whatever the thing yeah. was. She always told me the story about yada yada, mm-hmm. but also the other stuff. And even just from a buying standpoint where it's like, oh, Chevys are better than Fords. Where it's like, no, that's just a story someone told you. And at some point you were like, I believe that. Right. Right. right? And yeah. it's like, like uh, you know, I have a Mustang. Right. Right. I have an old Mustang. Yeah. It's because I grew up, my grandpa collected, my grandpa had Mustang. So it was like, oh, well, that's a better car. Right. I don't know if it's a be- <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. just at some point you heard a story and you go, oh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. But that's like, it's, everything is like that. We believe story about, about ourselves. When I was teaching this stuff, I'd be like, look around the room. Is everyone, is anyone dressed the exact same clothes? No. You got to ask why. Because we all believe stories about ourselves and we're trying to tell a story about ourselves. Sure. And, how, and it's like, all of this stuff is swirling around, mm-hmm. but it all still swirls around this idea of stories. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, even, even asking me to talk about the invention of whiteness yeah you have to put it in the context of a story it's still yeah. a story yeah history is a story yep right yeah um I, I think experience is also a story right so that um you may have a, an accumulation of stories right so if you're a surgeon and you've done a surgery a hundred times yeah right well that becomes a story in your head about well this can go wrong this can go wrong this goes right oh if this happens i know yeah. i've dealt with this right that that all those stories become data in a way yep right but it's still just story you're dealing with yeah that's all experience is that's why um there's the cliche of the old wise person yeah. right what do they have that you don't more stories yeah <laughs> that's what they have right before there was an internet right yeah. encyclopedias who did you do you did you ask the elder right hey there's a drought going on ask the elders because they've been through this before yep right um, or whatever it is, that's that's what happens. You become a collection of stories, a yep. collection of experiences, hmm. um, and your memories. It's yeah, like, what are you apart from your memories? Yeah, and there's right. an interesting thing that um, I read once in a in a book. I think it was about samurais or something. And it, I love how much stuff. You, like, it's always all over the map. You'll always be like, I was just reading about how boilers were made in the 1920s. I'm like, how did you, what are you doing? Okay. So you're reading about samurais. I was reading about samurais. And um, there there was a, a thing where they would say, listen to the veterans, hmm. listen to their stories. And it doesn't matter how many times you've heard them. Interesting. Just keep listening because there's something they're trying to tell you. We have a culture that says grandpa and his stories, <laughs> yeah. blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. But all grandpa's uh-huh. trying to do is tell you how to survive. Yeah. During the depression, we had to use a tea bag 50 times. Yeah. You're like, okay, whatever, grandpa. Yeah. Right. But he's trying to tell you something. Yep. Right. And, uh, um, but we don't have a culture that acknowledges that. Yeah. Right. We do, we'll put them in a home and never listen to them. I think about that. Like I know some, some people like, um, really high capacity type folks like that, you know, write those books about this kind of stuff. I've noticed a couple of times people would say stuff like I take X amount of my time and I spend it with older people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that makes so much sense. You're going directly to where the wisdom's at. Right. And you just sit there and it's the best thing to be like, tell me stories about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Right. Like I've started interviewing all the older folks in my life with like long interview, like three hour long interviews. Yeah. And just cause I want to know and get stuff out of their head, yeah. you know, for when they pass on and just be like, Hey, we have this. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just be like, if they can tell you in three hours, right. It just so you know, it took me 80 years to learn what I'm going to tell you in three hours. <laughs> right. Right. You take that deal. Right. Every time. Right. Even if you catch one or two things, well, it's worth the price of admission. And you don't know how valuable you're yeah. you, because you you may not have encountered the situation where you need that information yeah right so if somebody tells you what it what the build up 
to World War II was like in Germany. Yeah. Right? And you go, okay, whatever. Right? Yeah. Then you don't know the warning signs. Yep. Right? Because you haven't had to deal with it yet. Right? So you never know what information you're getting. So we just did that a minute ago. We were just talking about the KKK. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And you were talking about whatever we wrote down, 1915. Right? Yeah. What happened in 1915? Birth of a Nation comes out. Okay. Before Birth of a Nation, how big was the KKK? It, the, like, was it a huge deal? It was almost uh, non-existent. It had gone almost away. It started in 1865 after uh, the Civil War. And uh, anyway, it, and it had a moment of, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I'll put glory in quotes, but it yeah. had its moment. Yeah. And then, uh, but it was dying out. Um, and it was, it was, it, it was regional. But it was dying out. It yeah. was almost over. And so you take something in 1915, right? Yeah. It was almost dead. Birth of a Nation comes out. And the clan, they're heroes in that movie. Yeah. They're the heroes of that movie. So this dead thing, it would be like, this, oh, that's a bad example. I was going to say like the Masonic Lodge or something like that, but no. it's not even in the same ballpark. No. I'm trying to think of something that you, you would think of and be like, oh, it's you know old and kind of gone or whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, it's huge again. Yeah. I mean, because it was nine years later, it was up to three million members. Right, right. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, Birth of a Nation is credited with a lot of that. And, and you can look, if you look online of uh, clan, the clan marching down Pennsylvania Avenue, it's a lot of Because they use it as a recruitment tool. Yeah. And so that's, again, it's like, if you go like, you know, oh man, you guys talk about this stuff too much. It's like, do you understand what a big deal that is? Do you understand what a big deal is? That somebody made a movie. <laughs> that someone made a movie. And you go, oh, movies are just entertainment. Bullshit. Somebody made a movie in 1915. Fast forward nine years later, this almost dead thing has three million people in it and if you think about all the pain and and all the just crazy stuff that came out of those folks yeah why somebody told a story yeah people don't understand you know i've worked on movies where people say i don't i don't get this i've never gotten this uh people two things that bother me people say will sometimes say when you're working on a movie or something they go well it's just a movie it's not gonna change the world it's like you're not paying attention yeah you're not paying attention yeah because Movies change the world all the time. Stories yeah. change the world all the time. Stories make the world. Yeah. And stories change the world. Yep. All the time. So, and the other thing is they'll say, oh, I, I like that movie because it doesn't take itself seriously. I'm like, I have no respect for somebody who doesn't take it seriously. Yeah. This is a serious job. Yeah. I don't understand why that's a, a virtue. Yeah. I don't get it. Absolutely. And the funny thing is they could do it. Oh, you know, I like Chaplin. He's funny. It's like, yeah, but he's not just funny. No, he's not just funny. Right? Yeah. There's always a point. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and you think about that and then it's like, okay, well, Brian, what, what ended up? So the KKK is rolling. Right. Right. And you think about that. Think about the amount of human suffering. Also, they expanded who they were against. Right. Yeah. Who did they expand about? Right? Didn't yeah. They started going against it. wasn't just. It wasn't just black people. It became Catholics. Catholics yeah. Um, Jewish people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And immigrants. Yeah. And you start looking for patterns. Mm hmm. Right? Yeah. It's the same old stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right? You start to go, you go after you go after immigrants, right? You mm-hmm. go after uh, the, you go after minorities, pretty right. much, right? Yeah. And you start to build a case, right? The beautiful thing, if there's a bad way of saying it, about this is what happened later on, because what helped destroy the KKK? 
Oh, right. Well, um, so a story builds it up. Right. A story builds it up. So from 1915 till 1946. Yeah, 46. Yep. Yeah, 46. It was pretty strong. And um, and then uh, a bunch of people got together. Uh, there's different stories about how it actually came together, but the Superman show uh, was on the radio. And uh, they decided to make the clan the villains on uh, Tim Part series. Yeah. And uh, Superman beat the clan. Um, and so people started to see the clan as villains. Their enrollment dropped. Uh, people would show up at their rallies just to tease them, just to ridicule them. Kind yeah. of what you see now often when they're... Yeah, right? right, yeah. Right? It was like that. It was like people went, we don't want these people because of Superman. Yeah. Right? And what I find interesting about that is Superman's a completely fictional character. Superman does not exist. Um, I always find that a little weird because Superman does exist. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Superman exists as much as Thomas Jefferson exists. Yeah. Like, you can't meet either one of them. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. But they have an impact on the world. Right. Right? A real impact on the world. So a fictional character beats a real-life organization. And you think about that, why? And I think the, when you were telling me that, you said, like, well, yeah, I mean, think about it. These dads are coming home, and they're seeing their little kids playing with their Superman doll, and who the Superman, who's Superman beating up? The KKK. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these guys are going, ah, that's ugly. I don't want to be in that. I don't want my kid to think I'm a bad guy. You go like, yeah, some amazing person thought, right? And that guy who went undercover in the KKK yeah. and learned all their secrets, and they put him out through the show or whatever. Yeah. There's all those, you know, stories. And you go like, look at that. So a movie... Birth of a Nation builds this sucker back up. Right. What punches it and starts pushing it back down? Superman. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Again, looking at the power of you have poison and you have medicine. Yeah. And man, when people understand this stuff, all of a sudden you can go, I hate the KKK. Great. Let's make up a good story. And this is also why you were telling me why you can't mess with Superman. Oh, right. Why well, you can't. Can't make him bad. Oh, no. yeah. Make yeah. him, oh, make him gray. Yeah. Right, right. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've tried to do that. Like, oh, Superman's too goody-goody. Right? But that's his job. Yeah. Right? That's the job of Superman, to be goody-goody. I mean, I don't mean his job, like, I mean, that's what he's supposed to, he's supposed to be there as a light. He's not supposed to be there as a, you can never be Superman, but yeah. the closer you get to being Superman, the better person you're going to be. Right. Right? No, you're not going to be Superman. Um, but people mess with stuff, so they'll yeah. be like, "Ah, oh, we've already seen that Superman. Let's make him a villain, or let's, or now he's a jerk." And now, and it's like, yeah. "No, no, 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 no! You don't know what you're messing with." Yeah. Right, and you don't understand the history of the good that a character like this can do. Right. Right, and just because you're cynical or whatever, don't fuck with Superman. <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like. Find another way. And then people wonder why the DC stuff doesn't do as good. It's like, but look at it. Right. You guys don't know what you're messing with. Right. Right? Um, anyways, that's fine. But I mean, I just like that's amazing how you just balance that out and you go, look, look at this awful thing that helps, helps, gives it fuel and helps throw water on the, on the you know, kind of on the fire. Yeah. Um, and also going back, why would it, why did that conflict start? Because somebody was like, I need an advantage. I'm going to make up a story. Yeah. There's a thing called whiteness. Yeah. Yeah. And it catches. Yeah. Britishness didn't catch. Christianity thing didn't catch. It's like whiteness. It that caught. caught. And then look at the damage. Yeah. And somebody should tell. And so for me, when you told me that story about it, you know, you were like, well, you know, whiteness isn't a thing. And I was like, what? <laughs> and you told the story. I was like, we need to tell people that story. Yeah. 
because sometimes you just accept things. So I guess it's always been, there's always been tension between, but it was like, no. <laughs> right. People right. just be like, I don't, what are you talking about? That's right. my friend, my neighbor. We're friends. Like, yeah. why would that have anything? Why would color skin? And it's like, yeah, that seems logical, right? Right. But why doesn't it? It's because of all these, you know, stories you also inherit for, for good and for bad. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you were talking about too, you're talking about it, it happened one night. Again, mm-hmm. this is more just like, just to show just, some just, silly things. Yeah. So, yeah, the movie What Happened One Night comes out in 34, I believe. Something like that. 34, yeah. I think. Uh, Frank Capra. Yeah, Frank again, Capra. Frank yeah. Capra movie. And in that movie. It was his first movie, right? No. It Happened One Night? No. I don't think he so. He won the Oscar for it. He did win the Oscar yeah. for it, but I don't think it was his first movie. He he used to do a lot of movies for um, oh, oh, a silent movie guy. I can't think of his name now. But he, he huh. did stuff. He, he, he did stuff. Um, but um, he made it happen one night. And a uh, huge hit, make yeah. Clark Gable a star. Clark yeah. Gable was not a star. Um, he, he had been in movies, yeah. but he became a huge star. This breakout. Yeah. And, um, but there's a scene in the movie where he, he takes off his shirt, uh-huh. and he's not wearing a T-shirt. And T-shirt sales plummeted because everybody wanted to be like Clark Gable. And if he doesn't wear one? I'm not going to wear one, right? Because we automatically will imitate mere neurons Story, man. Yeah. like we we do it all the time we don't think we do it yeah but we do it yeah right we, i think that's we're we are wired that's why heroes are important because i think we're wired to imitate them we are wired mm-hmm. to do that like that like there's um i think it was john garfield there's an old movie star who um this is back when everybody smoked and uh he put two cigarettes in his mouth and he lit them because it, it was polite to light this cigarette for the woman right uh-huh, yeah so so he put two in his mouth and he lit both of them and then handed one to her and it was everybody's like that's the slickest thing i ever saw and people were doing that all over the place after that because he's the hero of that piece right so people will imitate the hero yep. how many people started wearing fedoras after raiders of the lost Ark? yeah came sure out, right like we can't help ourselves. let's keep talking about smoking okay right? yeah smoking it was it was um it was freud's nephew and there's an amazing doc on this you can just find it on youtube it's called a century of self and uh he talks about how he went to the united states after the war um he was um in propaganda um and when he came to the states propaganda became a bad term so he invented a new term and he called it public relations i shit you not and one of his jobs was to get women to start smoking because at the time it was kind of a taboo thing like women didn't smoke and he used all the stuff he knew uh, from his uncle's work. And he was like, oh, a cigarette is like a phallic symbol. And it's an ultimate rebellion to be like, he was like, I can try to show show women like, oh, I have a penis too. I'm just as strong as you are, whatever. And so what he did was he had these photographers waiting around and he had a, and there was a, a, a women's march. And um, at a certain time, he, he cued everybody and he had paid these women to a stop and like lift up their dress a little bit, grab a cigarette and like everybody lit a cigarette at the same time. And he called them torches of freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was playing into the psychology of it where it's like, Hey, we're going to stand up against our, all the male BS we have to take all the time, which is totally true. Right. And he attached a product to it. Yeah. And he called them torches of freedom. Guess what happened to c- cigarette sales for women? Yeah, I'm right? sure they went way up. And he was sitting there and the cr- craziest part about when you watch this guy tell the story is he's so like, He's sitting in this big, like, fancy, like, 1970s, like, uh, um, New York mansion. And he's just sitting there. There's, like, a candelabra, I shit you not, on his table. He's at his dinner table. And he's talking about how he's, like, you know, people are cows. 
and I can move them any direction I like and all this stuff. And he's just like sitting in it. Yeah. And you think about how many women he killed that day. Yeah. And he's just like, and I'm the one that figured it out and I'm smarter than you are. And it's like, yeah, well, he understood stories. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he did something really awful. But it's like, so even that cigarette thing, like going, yeah, you do your homework. Once you start digging into this stuff, you're like, holy cow. It's That's interesting that you say that because um, we talk about the stories that we tell. Mm. But I was just thinking about the whiteness thing. Yeah. There's also the power of the stories we don't tell. Yeah. Right? Don't let anybody know about that. Yeah. Suppress that story. Yep. Right? Don't let that out. I remember you asked me, do you know how many people died in the slave trade? Yeah. And I was like, no, I have no idea. It's like, but you know how many people died in the Holocaust? Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh-huh. But you, millions of people died. Yeah. C- crossing. Yeah. But we don't know that. Nobody knows that. And that's American history. Right. But that's why we don't know. And it's like Holocaust, tra- like one of the greatest tragedies in history. Yeah. And you go like, look up the numbers on how many people died in the slave trade. I think the, 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 the smallest number is something like 9 million. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Have you ever heard about it? No, you never hear about it. I never heard about it. Yeah. They used Public to say, because they, they, they would throw people overboard, the dead bodies, they'd throw them overboard. And uh, the sharks would, like, it's an easy meal. Sometimes people would jump over. Instead of become slaves, they'd jump over, kill themselves. But hmm. um, there, there were so many sh- sharks, like, waiting for that meal that they said the sharks would follow that route. Um, and some people say the sharks still follow that same route. It's I don't crazy. know if that's true or not. But that's a story they tell. There was a lot of... There was that many bodies. There were a lot of yeah. bodies, yeah. Yeah. And you think about that. And again, just going back to like, yeah, this is, these are st- there's the stories that you hear, mm-hmm. right? That have both positive and negative effects. And there's also stories you don't hear. And knowing that you don't hear those stories for a reason. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, that's not a good story to tell. That- how much time did you really spend in school? If you look at how much time you spent studying uh, George Washington or John Adams or whoever, how much time did you really spend in school digging into, like, the First Nations folks who lived here before we did? Oh, yeah, nothing. They were here, and then we came. Yeah. And um, those the stories we told about Native people, really interesting in all the Westerns mm-hmm. and all the stuff that we told about them, right? It was just there were settlers, and then they were attacked. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It leaves a lot out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot left out. Yep. You know? Um, and, and those people, those individual people may have been innocent in their way, but they were still part of an, an invading force, Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> somebody else, like, you know, but I mean, I just think that's interesting. I think you're absolutely right. When you look at it, it's like, well, there's stories you heard, but what are the stories you haven't heard? Right. Yeah. And it's knowing that there's the, the classic thing would be sins of omission and commission. Yeah. Right. Um, and so we have that, even like we were talking like, uh, you know, um, another kind of goofy one. Um, Top Gun. Right. A lot yeah. of people don't realize. You, we said it was 86. Yeah. Right. 1986. Um, yeah. Here's a fun fact. If you don't know, do you know who actually financed Top Gun? Right. Most yeah. people don't. Then they don't. It was know. the Navy. So the Navy financed Top Gun and people go, oh, oh, I didn't realize that. Do you also know that they saw recruitment go up, right? By a certain, certain percentage that they have never been able to match since. Yeah. Navy recruitment came out so the movie comes out it's two and a half stars right it yeah. went on to apparently be the um, highest grossing film that year which is crazy we talked about that yeah so it's not even like i mean it's two and a half stars right, right? navy recruitment up went up 500 percent they've never seen numbers like that since 
we were talking earlier. It's hard to get someone to join the Navy. Yeah. That's no joke. Yeah. Like, it's hard to get somebody to like, hey, switch bank accounts to this bank. Yeah. Give your life to the Navy. You know what works? Is not somebody being like, here's all the benefits of joining the Navy. You know what works? His name was Maverick, right? right? And he yeah. had a buddy named Goose. And, yeah. they, you know, it's yeah. like, that's how you do it. Yeah. And how many guys were at a, like swabbing decks going, wait, what? I thought it was. Well, that, yeah, I thought it was going to be me flying and Goose planes. And we're going to be hanging out with Iceman. <laughs> and nobody would admit it. I'm sure nobody would be like, that's not why I joined. Come on, dude. Yeah. That's why you joined. It's why you got the Katana, whatever, motorcycle, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. It's just how it is. It's how we work. And so the nice thing is, is at least if you know this stuff, you can even like catch yourself and be like, oh, hold on a second. I don't actually need that thing. Right. Or, wait a second. Am I am I joining the Navy because of Tom Gunn? Or is it because I really care about, right? Right. Um, and, and you just go like, yeah, this stuff, this is how this stuff works. And yeah. you got to be aware of it because it's that stinking powerful. 500%. Yeah, that's crazy. It's funny, uh, we didn't talk about it, but it's funny when you look at um, uh, Clark Gable, mm-hmm. T-shirt sales going down. Yeah. Fast forward to the 1950s, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean wears a T-shirt as a shirt, which people didn't do. Uh-huh. And people were like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. T-shirt sales go up. Yeah. Right. Somebody, somebody's like, no, it's just because they didn't like shirts anymore. It's like, that's, well. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they did after James Dean did it. Yeah. And you go like, yeah, mirror neurons are at play. This is how we work. This is how we we impart survival information to each other. This is how we take things in. The big thing is hopefully everybody takes away from this is like stories matter. Mm-hmm. And they're, I, they're more influential in my life than I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And if you can identify this, not only hopefully can you see things coming, right? right. Um, but also hopefully you can you can go like, oh, shoot. The stories I tell and the stories I push forward out into the ether where the humans are going to consume them, uh, I should really think about that. Yeah. Right? I should really think about, like, I'm not talking about from a moral standpoint as far as, like, oh, you know, if there's sex in it or But but it's like, if you're going to mess with someone's brain, you better have a good reason. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, We've talked before about, like, uh, like Schindler's List or something like that. There's nudity in that movie. But it's like, yeah, but it's. That's it's it's there because you have to understand, right? Right, and then other times you'd be like, "Oh, you were just exploiting that woman." You know, there was no yeah, there's no reason right? for it. Yeah, or violence is the same thing. Oh, yeah, nonstop, you know, awful, you know, blowing people's heads off, and you're like, "What'd you do that for?" And they're like, "Ah, oh, just because I could." It's like, okay, yeah, congratulations. You know, what what were you trying to prove? There's some, and it's what's interesting too is there's some very powerful. Uh, what I find, especially now with modern filmmakers, is they tend to not go back very far in their history of film, and so uh, when they do see an old film, they often go, "Oh, they couldn't show the violence then. They right. couldn't show. They couldn't show. Couldn't. 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 Couldn't." And so they think, well, now we can show the head blowing up. It's like, yeah, yeah but is there any story value in showing the head blow right. up? Is there another way that you could have done that that may have been more powerful? There's a movie. I think it's. I think it's a David Lean, or I think he edited the movie. Anyway, there's a movie, uh, and I can't remember which one it is, but there's a guy getting murdered in the scene, and his dog is there. And um, you don't see the guy getting murdered. You see his dog scratching at the door trying to get out of the door as you hear the struggle. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and it's really powerful because the dog is freaked out. I don't know how they got that dog to do that. That dog is freaked out, and so you don't have to see it. And it's better, and it's more powerful, and it's more violent. Yeah, it's so smart. And it's really smart. There's no reason to exploit that stuff. And, in fact, you can get a lot more value out of not doing it sometimes. Yeah. And almost nobody knows that anymore or uses it. But the question is, do you know why 
as a as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, as a you know, if you're shooting TV, whatever, like you should know why you're doing everything. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, right, you should at least take a step back and be like, oh, like if you were talking to a chef and you're like, why do you keep throwing that stuff in there? Do you know what that does when you put that type of powder inside of your food? You're like I have no idea, but I. <laughs> <laughs> right. It makes it look cool or whatever. It's like, you want to do that because you're like, well, I mean, is it harmful to people? Like, do we, <laughs> right. Is that the right thing yeah. to do when you're making that thing? Yeah. It's like, you'd be like, that's a crazy thing to do. Right. It happens all the time. It's like, I have this great idea. Right. You know, I'm going to stab this pregnant woman 30 times on TV. And you're like, why would you do that? And you're like, they're not going to see it coming. Right. And you're like, oh, you're, that's, you're just an asshole. <laughs> right. 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 You could make that point right. in different ways. Yeah. Um, or you could like keep stomping on the person's head until there's nothing left, and you like you're like, okay, well, what what are you trying to say? Is this pushing forward that that armature? You know, other yeah. episodes we talked about that survival information. Is this good for the the people around you that are consuming it? Um, and it might be, you know, and it might be, it might be. You might have to do it in order to prove that thing, right? 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 Well, like uh, I can't remember. Did we talk about roots on the show? We might have. Uh, in the original Roots. Uh, go ahead. In, 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 whatever, yeah. we can talk yeah. about it again. But in the original Roots from, I think it's 76, 77, in that original television movie, which was a huge event, like almost everybody watched it. It was a big deal. There's a scene where the, the main character of, of this part of the series, Kunta Kinte, is uh, whipped. And what's interesting, so he's whipped because um, he won't... Uh, Kunta is a slave, and he won't say his name. He won't learn his name, which they want to give him the name Toby. But his African name is Kunta Kinte. I don't know if this is two or three episodes in of this series, but it's in to it a little ways. Well, in the first one, Kunta Kinte is being born. It's before he's born. It starts before he's born. And his father is going from uh, person to person trying to figure out what he should name his son. It's a name is a very important thing, and he's, like, taking this responsibility seriously. Like, I've got to name my son, and what's his name going to be? And it's a big deal. So when Kunta is uh, captured and becomes a slave in the United States, he doesn't have really any connection to Africa. The one thing he has is his name. Right. Right. And so, uh, and so he's holding on to his name because that's what he has. And we already we've set it up like they used to do in the old days. There's a first act. And so we know how important that is, right? And so when he's being whipped and he keeps resisting, just like say your name is Toby and he keeps saying Kunta Kinte, Toby, Kunta. He keeps saying it and he keeps getting whipped and he keeps getting whipped. And I mean, for 1970s TV, it's as violent as they could make it. Yeah. But um, you but could- it had to ha- You need to notice what a big deal it was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know- Finally, he breaks down, but it's after a long time yeah. of being whipped like that. So the more violent it is, the more powerful it is that he resists. Yeah. Um, and you know exactly how important it is to him. Yeah. And what the, the whole thing is. This, we're not talking about don't use violence. No. Don't use any of these things. Romance, whatever the thing is. Yeah. It's know why you're doing it. And is this pushing this forward? Right. right? Because you're exactly right. Like when you see that, you go, Wow. This right. is really, really important. What his dad was talking about, your name is a huge deal. Yeah. Right? Like it's making the point and it's making it in a really, obviously an effective way when you were like, I can tell you exactly what was going on in the scene. Right. Right? It's stuck in your head for some reason. It's stuck right? in everybody's head. People talk about it forever. <laughs> exactly. After it happened, yeah. Which means they did a good job. Yeah. And it was motivated. Mm-hmm. Right? 
The yeah. motivation side is is a big deal. Um, you know, like really good filmmaker. Again, knowing you were talking about um, Frank Darabont when uh, um, the Green Mile and how they used um, lightning or sorry, thunder. Oh, thunder, yeah. And how it was like every little thing was like, no, the thunder happens here. Whether or not the audience catches it, doesn't right. matter. Yeah. But there was no like, that wasn't an accident. No, it's not arbitrary. Right. It was just like, oh, thunder would be cool here. Or, no. Right. And the really greats, they knew that. In the same way, it's like, well, yeah, I used cinnamon on this thing, but I don't use cinnamon over here. Right. Right? Why? Because there's a whole meal I'm putting together yeah. for people to consume, and I, I'm trying to orchestrate it. Yeah, there's a flavor profile here, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to, it's like, this is spaghetti. Right. No cinnamon. That's right. Yeah. Except now, you know, you have movies where it's like nonstop explosions or something, and there's so much that you can't even... You can't, you, you, yeah. you know, you fall asleep. Yeah. Um, because there's so much stimulation. Like the right. answer can't just be more explosions or blah, blah, blah. There's nothing sudden, left like, to blow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They've blown uh, up everything. Yeah. I don't understand it. I don't, it's like, you can't win this fight. We're always going to, you know, so just yeah. stop doing that and, and find a way to make us care about the one explosion in the movie. Yeah. Find a way to make us care. Yeah. Make right. us care about it. Don't, you're not, we're not just going to care. It's ridiculous. We've seen everything now. Yeah. We've seen it. You can't blow us away that way. You can only blow us away with ideas and with caring. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, that's an interesting concept. Right? <laughs> like, or that's a cool way to, you know, get me mm -hmm. to think about this or feel about that. You ever think about the fact that we have mirror neurons, what that tells us about each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for one reason or another, right, w whether we evolved this way or however people feel about it. Right. As a human, you have mirror neurons. Right. That should tell us something. Right. Should tell us that we were made to empathize with each other. And in fact, when people don't, mm. that's a problem. When people can't empathize with yes. other people. Yeah, that's a that's a problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah. Those people are a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real it it just makes their life very difficult. Yeah. Right? Um and it, and it's a it's a whole thing. And so you go like, okay, so if we're supposed to be able to see the person across from us, right? Mm-hmm. Our neighbor across the street, the person sitting next to us at work, the other person on the bus, we should be able to look at them and see what they're going through and go, oh, they look like they're having a hard time or their bags are heavy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stand up and give them my... We have this because there's a survival mechanism in that, even just be able to look at someone else and understand how they feel. You're right. Right? And that's why stories are so stinking effective. But just the fact that, like, you know, we see so much bad in humanity all the time, mm -hmm. right? Um but isn't it nice to know that like we were made with these neurons so that we can, hey, like we said earlier, I've never, I've never known what it's like um, when we were in Memphis and we were going through the museums and stuff, right? Yeah. It's like you can really like, I'll never know what it was like to be a black man in Memphis in 1960 and I never yeah. will. Yeah. But I, can, but I can tell you this, that feels wrong. Right. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's just it. You, you. It, so, you know, when, when people uh, want you not to empathize, hmm. they will make sure that you either think of these people that this is happening to as inhuman hmm. because you have a, you'll have a human response. Yeah. Right? Those are humans and they're hurting. That's right. Right? So the way that you see it in wars, one of the first things people Propaganda, do- Propaganda, World War II. The first thing people yeah. do is dehumanize yep, that other to. group. Yep. Right? So yeah, you got to demonize them so you can hate them. Yeah, right. So you know th there were people in the South who thought that Yankees had tails, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. That yeah. it's the same country. Like yesterday, yeah, yeah yesterday <laughs> it, it was right? the same country. Yeah. right? but they have to be 
inhuman or you know i don't know what people said about people in the south but you know what i mean yeah. but we have to dehumanize people in order to do inhumane things to them. yeah so we have to think they're less than mm-hmm. um and we're left with the legacy of that absolutely because your brain is screaming no no no! i keep wanting to empathize right i keep wanting to go like no no, no that looks like a person to me yeah right um and that and that matters, and that's there for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like it's nice to know that, that we have, there's a mechanism built into us um, that hopefully should always bring people together. Yeah, right. Um, Empathy is a big deal, man. Uh, yeah, it's hard. This is a this is a tricky one because like uh, once you again once you start seeing this stuff, you start going like, man, I want to put some I want to put some stuff out there that helps. That helps. Yeah. yeah, that helps, right? And 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 like uh, again, it's the medicine versus the poison side of the story. Because man, like, what's more powerful than that? Like, yeah. Well, there's an interesting thing too, where um, I think for some reason, maybe it's because of the way um, we talk about this kind of thing, or the way people think that I think about this stuff. They will often say to me, "Well, don't you just want to turn your brain off sometimes?" You know, because I'm. <laughs> hypercritical about movies mm-hmm. excuse me so they say well yeah don't you want to just turn your brain off sometimes i just want to turn my brain off and it's like you know what stories are actually for they're not intellectual things right mm-hmm. so when they're working your brain that part of your brain it should be turned off anyway yeah. because what you're really trying to do is feel things yeah right so when i'm critiquing something i'm not talking about the intellect yeah. I'm talking about the emotional yeah. impact of it. Like I didn't feel anything. I wasn't moved in any way. Yeah. Um in order to uh show me something about the world. Yes. And so uh yeah, sure it can be fun. Like, you know what? Jaws is fun. Yeah. Jaws is a fun movie to watch. Die Hard is a fun movie to watch. Yeah. Aliens is a fun movie to watch. But they all have something to tell you. Right. Right. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. I've noticed that that's kind of a thing. People think you can do one that you can be serious. Right. Or you can be funny or light. Yep. Um, And it's like, no, those things you can you can do all those things. You can do all those things. Yeah. I saw you posted this. Oh, yeah. The Stanley. Um, And uh, obviously Stanley is passing. Right. Yeah. Um, But uh, you you posted this and I was and I was reading it. and I just love this line in here. It says, like, from time to time, I receive letters from readers. Who went, what, what year would this have been? Like, when would this have been when he was doing his soapbox stuff? I, I think that was in the 60s. This was in the 60s, I think. Um, so and I for, found it. Somebody else had posted it. Oh, so, got it. Yeah. So so for those of us that can't see this, there there is um, uh, a section that apparently Stan Lee used to do called Stan Soapbox. Yeah, it was in the comics in the back of the books. And what this is where he would, like, answer questions that mm-hmm. people were writing or something yeah, like that? Yeah, you would write letters. Yeah. Man, and so, like, what's awesome is, so here's this little expert. He said, like, um, from time to time, we receive letters from readers who wonder why there's so much moralizing in our mags. They take great pains to point out that comics are supposed to be escapist reading and nothing more. But somehow, I can't see it that way. It seems to me that a story without a message, however subliminal, is like a man without a soul. In fact, even the most escapist literature of all, old-time fairy tales and heroic legends, contain moral and philosophical points of view. At every college campus, wherever I speak, there's as much discussion of war and peace, civil rights and the so-called youth rebellion, as there is of our Marvel mags per se. None of us, um, uh, none of us lives in a vacuum. None of us is untouched by the everyday events about us. Events 
would shape our stories just as they shape our lives. Sure, our tales can be called escapists, but just because something's for fun doesn't mean we have to blank it out, blank out our brains while we read it. Excelsior, Stanley. Yeah, the good people always get it. Like, right? You know I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like just because it's Spider-Man or Superman or whatever it is yeah. you're doing, doesn't mean you can't have something to say. And in fact, I, I really believe story. That's what stories are for. That's why we have them. Mm-hmm. If you think about, you know, we forget as human beings that we're animals. We'd like to forget that. I don't yeah. know why, but we'd like to forget that. But if you look at other animals, nothing they do is frivolous. They don't just do things to pass the time. Yeah. Right? And I don't think we do either. I think we think we're doing that. Right? And there are animals who maybe think they're doing that. But like all baby mammals play. Hmm. But what they, when they, what they play is they play the things they're going to have to do as adults, right? So uh, a kitten will play hunt yeah, and pounce and sneak, right? Yeah. Those are all skills they're going to need, Yeah, right? So when a, when a child is playing, and there's a lot of studies now about how kids, their brains aren't developing the way they used to because they don't go outside and play, <laughs> right? Which is what we're sort of designed to go do, to yeah. learn how the world works physically. Uh-huh. And how, oh, I, this is too high. I can't fall off of that. And, yeah. you know, you have to uh-huh. learn all those things, right? Because you're going to be, or at least nature thinks you're going to be out in the world, yeah, right? right? And so um, I think stories are part of that. This is why I think, go to, mm-hmm. go to, a, go to a school when it's story time. Yeah. Kids could not be more excited about story time. Yep. Oh, good. Story time. They crave stories. Yeah. It's as if you said it's just like food or anything. And it's just like food, I think. Yeah, right. Right? So I think that's why kids are like very excited about story time and why there is this tradition, no matter what culture, of telling children stories. Yeah. Oh, we have to tell them stories because that's the way to pass on information about how to survive. Right. Just the way you would teach them anything. Don't eat these berries. But if you say don't eat these berries, you'll probably have a story about it, too. Yeah, for right? sure. So, so um, I, I really think that's why stories tend to go, for the most part, older to younger, older to younger, older to younger, right? Yeah. Don't lose this. Don't right. forget this. Right. And uh, so grandparents have stories for their grandkids, right? But parents have stories for their kids. Older kids have stories for younger kids. It's just the way it works. It's just the more experiences you have, the and more And what do you do when they die? A bunch of people stand around and they do what? They tell stories. Tell stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll talk about Jesse. Oh, you know, he was a, whatever. Like, it's like, it's everywhere. Yeah. Right? When my dad died, um, at his, at, at the sort of the gatherings after my dad died, there were lots of talks about, you know, and I didn't grow up with my dad, so I didn't know him very well. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to hear people say, you know, I hadn't seen my dad since I was seven. So it was interesting to hear people say, that guy, not not knowing what I did for a living, that guy was a really good storyteller. People hmm. said it over and over again. He was a natural storyteller. He had a really knack for stories. And he goes, they were, people would go, you could go, my dad's name was Rock. People call him Rock. It was Roscoe, but everybody Dude. called him Rock. Dad's name was Roscoe? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everybody <laughs> called him Rock, yeah. That's awesome. So they'd say, you go to Rock, and he would always have a story that would solve whatever problem you had. Like, hmm. that, that was amazing to me. Like, oh, if you had a problem, go to Rock. He would have a story for you. Wow. Yeah. Rock. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But that, but he, but again, this is a gut level thing. You studied it. Right. So you can talk about it. But like your dad didn't study this he stuff. Did, yeah. But he knew, we all know. Yeah. Right. That like, this is how things work. Right. Right. 
And it's interesting because not only did people like him or whatever, but they, but what was interesting is what they were saying was, I like that guy. He taught me how to survive. Mm. I like that guy. He helped me survive. Yeah. So, uh, I like rock. He told great stories was I like rock. He helped me get through it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. He helped me get through another day. He helped me figure out. Right. Yeah. And that's and uh, you're gonna like people that help you survive. Everybody does. Doesn't that make sense? People like good storytellers. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. we were talking about this when I, I came in your uh, your office, and I was like, "Man, Stan Lee died," and you were like, "Yeah, it's sad." You're like, at the same time, he came up with Spider Man. Well, right? you know yeah. what I mean. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. you gotta go. I mean, he he put his handprint on a cave wall he did yeah. that right yeah you big can't time. you can't take that away he's well oh, he's the guy spider-man guy the x-men guy the hulk guy the iron man guy right like that's and he him he knew that stories weren't frivolous right i mean a bunch of i started reading these these different stan soapboxes uh-huh you know much of them are about race or inequality or oh like, yeah right you talk about rod serling a lot oh yeah right like the greats just got that they're like no 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 i'm not no it's not just it's not just spider-man it's not just yeah like there's you I mean, guys know we're doing something right yeah the twilight zone was specifically created to do something we tell what do you uh, will you give the background on that well so yeah so rod serling was you know a lot of people don't know his pre-twilight zone work but his pre-twilight zone work is amazing is as good as his twilight zone work i mean it's amazing his work i'm a fan of all of that stuff but um so he was a high profile television writer at the beginning really of television um, and, uh, there were a lot of good writers and he was one of the top ones. And I, I think he had four Emmys or something, three Emmys, I think something before he ever did the twilight zone, he was hugely famous, yeah, hugely successful writer before the twilight zone. When he started the twilight zone, it was because he was being censored, um, by the, by the sponsors really, um, because sponsors sort of ran the shows. And so he was sort of, they were like, no, you can't do this. And he wanted to do something about, um, uh, the lynching of Emmett Till in 1955, and and they were like, "Whoa, wait, what yeah, about this we? is the Colgate Hour. We're yeah, not gonna, yeah, yeah, and it's the South, and we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah. you know, we don't want to, you know, alienate that part of the audience and all of that. So, um, he, you know, things kept getting censored, and he didn't like that because he had things to say, mm-hmm. and so he started the Twilight Zone to disguise the things he wanted to say. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, so but he still wanted to say them. He's and they're still, all there. Yeah. It's not like you have to squint too hard to see them. No, but I think that actually the disguise yeah. makes those things last, whereas you have to seek out the other stuff before totally. the Twilight Zone. You yeah. have to seek it out, right? You have to be like a diehard like me and find it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're never going to hear about it. You're just going to hear he's a Twilight Zone guy, yep. and that's it. Because mm-hmm. the there's something about the Twilight Zone making it a fable in a way, making yeah. it separating it from real life just enough. Yeah. That people will take it in. Yeah. Um, It's just abstract enough. I mean, the episode, It's a Good Life. Um, uh, The the, the short story is written by Jerome Bixby, but the the screenplay, the teleplay is written by Rod Serling. And and actually, I've read Jerome Bixby's uh, thing, and it's it's different because I don't think Jerome Bixby had the same thing to say. Mm. Uh, It's been a while since I read it. He may, but I don't think so. It's very Serling to say what that story said, but It's a Good Life is a kid who has these powers and he has this isolated town and nobody knows whether or not the rest of the world even exists. And this kid is almost like he has 
unbelievable powers and can make anything happen and do whatever he wants. But there's what what's interesting to me about that story is that that people are he wields his power. Uh, he's a little kid. Yeah. And he wields this crazy power over these people and he's kind of a spoiled brat and everybody tells him he's good because they're afraid of what's going to happen to yeah. him uh, to them because he'll just kill people and you know send them out to the cornfield he says. Uh-huh. And it's interesting because he's really talking about all tyrants. Yeah. Right? He's talking about all tyrants. You know, he he's send coming out of the cornfield. Yeah. He's yeah. talking about the the childlike nature of tyrants. Yep. Right. The inability to like there's one guy in that story who's great because um, at one point he stands up to the kid and this is a point where the things can change. And he goes, well, now he's uh, he's focused on me. So why won't one of you guys hit him over the head or kill him or something while he's focused on me? And nobody does. People somebody looks like they might, but they don't. And so it's like nobody they'd rather uh, James Brown had a line in a song. It's like I'd rather. Um, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees, mm. right? These people are choosing to li- live, on their, live on, on their knees, knees mm. right? So, like, who do you want to be? Like, you, you you have to be able to stand up to tyrants, yeah. And so, so, and they're they're childlike, and it doesn't matter how much power they have. Ultimately, no matter how much power they have, we're the ones giving them the power, right? Yeah, right. And then you go like you watch that, and you're just like, oh, that was a great episode. But you know how many people. Why you're telling that story? Like, I know exactly what he's talking. You know why it's stuck in your head? Because somewhere in your head was like, this is important. Yeah. This is important. It's not just about a kid with powers. No. Right? And no. that's why people can remember it. Yeah. And people think, you know, a lot of people, yeah, consciously people think, oh, it's just, yeah, it's just a kid with powers. And it's, yeah. it, no, there's something going on there. And you're talking about um, just after, um, I mean, it's relatively close is the McCarthyism thing mm-hmm. where where lots of writers were blacklisted and because yeah. they were called communists. And McCarthy was a tyrant in yeah. that way. He had was wielding power. And it, and it stopped as soon as people said, you know what? No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Edward R. Murrow, the news guy, kind of stood up to him when nobody else would. And um, things turned around. And that's but that's what it takes. Yeah. Right. Uh, people just like accept a lot of this stuff as gospel. Yeah. Right. Like the whiteness thing or whatever the things whatever are. Whatever it is. Yeah. It, you go like, oh, you know, I don't want to be the one that tries to hit him in the back of the head and, you know, uh, I'm going to just fall in line or whatever it is. It's like, man, these, again, go back. Like there's a whole, th- it's the armature of our show, right? Yeah. Stories are more important than you think. Yeah. And I'm hoping that there's more, uh, I'm assuming, and you know, and I think it's a good assumption that there's a lot of people listening to this. You're just awesome good people and they're going hey i have things i care about right right, in this life family and you know things in our community and stuff like that and you want to see them go better it's like man there's nothing there's no better investment you can make with your time than to learn story because boy if you can start to tell those stories just like well rod serling's kind of a big deal but like right at some point he was a normal person and right yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, right um and you go like man you know this is how this is how it works and this is how you make a difference i mean how many times have you heard a song that like started a revolution right or right yeah a poem or whatever yeah yeah people don't understand the other thing too is even if you're not a person who creates stories being a better consumer of stories is mm. interesting too, right? Again, listen to the veterans. Knowing that people have wisdom for you yeah. changes how you even hear a story yeah. or listen to a story. Hey, that's wisdom. Yeah, they're talking. Don't zone out. Don't take your phone out of your pocket. Yeah. Listen to what Grandpa's about to say. Yeah. Right? You don't think it matters. 
Grandma lived through a lot to get here, I promise. I remember <laughs> when the, the economic downturn in 2008, and uh, people were worried. People thought, we're going to go into a depression. We're going to go have another depression. Like, people were very worried. Yeah. And I remember, uh, we still had newspapers back then, and I remember uh, walking past one of those newspaper box kiosk things with the paper, and the, you'd see the headline you yeah. know, right there in the window. And I remember it saying uh, something like, the Great Depression, how your grandparents survived, or how your grand Like, they, all of a sudden... People started caring about people, the, yeah. like The newspaper went, oh, people are going to want to know how people survived this. So what did they do? We went and interviewed a bunch of people that survived the Great Depression yeah. or found their stories. Yeah. And we just want to tell them to you. Yeah. Why? Because there's something comforting about that. There's something like when you're just stuck in the feeling. Right. I have this feeling of dread about the economy. I have this feeling of whatever the feeling is. And you go like, you know the best thing you can do about that? Go listen to some people live through it. And you know what you're going to find out? You're not alone. Right. Or you can do it. Or right. it'll be harder than you think, but you can make it. Like, right. Like whatever those stories, they comfort us. And you go, oh, well, I mean, if my grandma was able to... Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the stories when I told you about, I interviewed my grandma um, and just unbelievably, you know, her, I found out her, her mom had died when she was 12 mm -hmm. and like, you know, growing up on this farm in like Iowa and all this stuff. And I'm just like, well, how'd you make it through that? And man, she had this line where she said, I didn't cry. My mom died. She said, it hurt more than I could cry. She's like, I couldn't even cry. And I was like, whoa, how'd you make it through that? And she's like, well, you know, she's like, told me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and she's just talking, but it's like, yeah. even that line, like, it hurt more than a cry. I was like, geez, it goes in your head, right? right? And I go, and she was 12, and she made it. And here she is in her 80s, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we could, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's all in there. Yeah. I, it's interesting. You're talking about when we were in Memphis and going yeah. through the Civil Rights Museum and stuff. And I, you know, my mom lived through that era, right? My mom, my aunt aunts and uncles they lived through jim crow and segregation right yeah. so so sometimes it comes up and my mom tells this story she doesn't talk about it very much unfortunately but my mom tells this story um about when she was at a like a restaurant like a diner or something and you know you weren't allowed to sit down in those places if you were black so she couldn't she was a little kid so she thought well can't we go sit down you know yeah. and and Whoever it was, I don't know if it was her father or somebody was somebody older. Um, and she kept asking, "Why can't we sit down? Why can't we, can't, why can't we sit down?" And uh, I always imagined it as her father, because she never really got an answer. And I and I always put myself, I empathize, and I go, "What would it be like to have to tell your kid that?" And also, there's no reason that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And so she you knows can't that kids know that. Right. So there's no reason that makes sense. So you can't make it make sense. At the same time, there's a thing that it does that makes um, that adult feel childlike because mm. they're helpless, yeah. because they're they're a victim of that system. Um, I, I just I, the idea that you would have to explain to your kid, well, they think we're less than human in some way, yeah, is uh, it 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 haunts me. And so, and uh, but having those stories, having the stories from slavery, having the stories from this, like when you see kids getting separated from parents in Mexico, yeah. you know, not in Mexico, but coming yeah. to America and getting yeah. separated. You go, hmm, I have stories that let me empathize mm. with that situation. Yeah. I have story. I know what that feels like to be treated as less than human. You're separating parents and kids. You, you have yeah. to think of them as less than human. There's no other way, yeah. you know, 
There's no other way to do that. And if you're listening to this, and when you're talking about that, your brain, you're fighting the whole time going, well, they're just immigrants or whatever. Just ask yourself when that started for you. Mm-hmm. Because that hasn't always been there. Like, there was a time in your life, if you're listening to this, <laughs> yeah. where if you heard that someone's children were taken away from their parents, uh, you would have been like, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. And boy, if you can find that moment when you started going like, they deserve that. Or that sounds right to me. Yeah. I have a feeling there's a story somewhere around that point that you decided, right? Right. To no. buy into. Yeah, I think that's true. Right? I think that's true. And I, I remember it's it's uh, it's interesting. Because kids wouldn't get it. No. Why are they taken away from there? Then no, kids would not get it. Yeah. And and the way slavery was explained to me, and I did we talk about this on the show? So I didn't know black people been slaves. I you know, I got here just like everybody else and the world was the way it was and yeah. one day came up when I was a little kid. My mom's like, well, black people used to be slaves in America. And I'm like, what? And I didn't even know what that meant. Like, what does huh. that even mean? You've never talked about this. Oh, I no, no, not even. No, just, it's no. like, like I, I didn't know. Like, well, okay, what does that mean? And she, you know, she said what it was. Oh, you had to work and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, some people worked in the house and some people worked in the field and all, all these sort of details about it. But that didn't sound like I didn't, I hadn't really worked hard at that point in my life. So yeah. it didn't sound, it didn't, that part didn't stick. But what did stick is she said, well, people would get sold. So she would say, uh, she said, well, that meant that like they might sell me away from you and you'd never see me again. Or they might wow. sell your brother or they might sell your sister or they might sell and you would never see each other again. How old were you? Seven. So you're seven and she says that. Yeah. So that sticks with you. So that's my picture of slavery. Like that's my picture of it. Like mom is being taken away. Yeah. Mom's just been sold. Yeah. I'm staying. Yeah. So that's the version in my yeah. head of right. what, of the like, oh. So when you see mothers taken away from their children. I go, oh, okay, that, you know, because I put myself in that position. Like, that's the scariest thing when you're a kid. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, really? What? You had to have been laying in bed thinking about that. Yeah, it was crazy. It was it sounded crazy because it was, but it, it sounded crazy. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, what now? Yeah, that's what used to happen. You know, this gets sold. And, yeah. Like, I, it didn't. But kids would ask questions about that. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. At some point, you were like, no, well, they're not people like us. Right. Well, what does us mean? Right. Well, they probably think like you do, and they probably look like you do, and they probably have the same economic status, whatever. Yeah. And you're like, but but us is human. Right. Right? Right. And at some point, we 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 cut that. Yeah. Right? And and again, like I hope that whiteness story sticks in people's brains. Just yeah. as, a, as a as like a touchstone of going like, wait, what other bullshit? What other <laughs> right? Right? You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, they should look it up. They should look up Jacqueline Badalora and see because she talks about it much better than I. Much more yeah. detail. Like she's a scholar of that yeah. particular thing. You know what's something cool about this episode that I didn't anticipate happening is like we're both like, oh, we should talk about this now. You know, stories are important, and we kept on talking about like, um, you know, like movies and stuff. But I like that we've we've started talking about history too. I like right. that we've kind of like been like, yeah, that's. That's true, but let's also talk about the KKK. Let's also talk about... Well, these are all stories. Yeah. They're all stories, right? So if you tell the story that the KKK are heroes, yeah, w people... I, or that there's good people on both sides. Right, right, right. But yes, but I think that... If no, you, and that's not little. No, that is not little. Don't when get people, me wrong. When people hear that stuff, I think people go like, oh, there's, yeah, there's, there's good people on both sides. Do you know 
that's a story now. Right. That's a little thing people can hold on to and be like, oh, maybe there is some. <laughs> right. Maybe there are some good Nazis right. out there. No. Yeah. There are no good Nazis. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And once you open up that door for people, right, you have to understand words are important. Once you open that door for people, all of a sudden, what's the next thing that comes in? What's the next? Right? Right. It's like, well, if, there's, if not all Nazis are bad, well, then I guess not all the things the Nazis did were all that bad. Right. And, yeah. I think, right? I think that people like to think of themselves as good people, and I think most people tr- try to be good people. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of what we think that is, right? Oh, sure. Right? And so what what I was going to say is if, if you present the Klan as heroes and saviors, yeah, then there are going to be people who want to be heroic that way. Yeah. I want to be a hero. Well, I want to be You were talking about birth of nation. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Who was the heroes? The Klan were the heroes. Right. He's like, well, I want to be like that. Yeah. And that's why it's that's why Superman was such a big deal too because like well Superman always does the right thing and he always fights you know injustice and then what happens you start to turn the tide back like it's the yeah you know um, and that's what's really weird now like with all these movies too where there's just the bad guys or whatever like well you, you know like right. it's, it's like well no you need both it only makes it interesting if you have you know what I mean there's you, right no, like what do you do, what do you use the point of yeah you're like oh you know it's more like real life. It's like, well, well, it depends on how you look. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it m- maybe, but that's not. It's that's not even true. <laughs> like, you know, it it's not like. A sure, I'm sure good people, whoever they are, are not yeah. always good people. Sometimes, oh, sure, but sure. Sometimes there's no reason to say that in a story, right? Like, no, we're not talking about that part of them. Yeah, no, we're talking about the time that they had to rise to the occasion. And yeah, we're not choose to do the harder thing, whatever. Yeah, but we're not talking about the part of them that wh- whatever they shopped yeah. a list when uh-huh. they were twelve, and that, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. we're not talking that. We're not talking about that. That's part. a different thing. Yeah, um, there may be a reason to talk about that, but that you're telling a different story, then, right? You know, um, yeah. I mean, if you want to say like Schindler's List is a good example of a character who Schindler's a guy who's profiting. Yeah. Right. Um, who changes, right? Yeah. So he, but he changes from, at least in the movie. I don't know what Schindler was actually like, yeah. but that doesn't. It's from a story perspective, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. He comes. He he, he's a profiteer mm-hmm. and becomes a humanitarian. Right. 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 Yeah. And so uh, you know, and it happens slowly, but it happens to him yeah. in the story. And and you know, there are people who don't like that story because for whatever reason because they like they think the world's it's better if things are more complicated but mm. i think if things are more complicated you haven't said anything mm. so i think if you, if you i think simplification can be good to make your point well, i don't understand with, why you're telling the story right and if your point is and i think the point is you know you can be a good person even under under the worst circumstances yeah right yeah. even under the worst circumstances you can still be a human being and you know why that story is important because the old people know this it's also you know, this is chronological snobbery. It's really easy to look at old things and be like, well, they're antiquated, they're old people, whatever, and go, that will never happen again. Right. right? But the old people are telling you a story because they know, listen, we didn't see this coming either. Right. We didn't think this could have happened in our hometown <laughs> right. either. Right. And they're telling the story to be like, don't get caught off guard. These things happen. Now, so as you know what it doesn't this is how sad this is i don't know when this will actually be up on youtube or on you know on uh, itunes or whatever but as we speak we've had another mass shooting Mm -hmm. but 
the, the truth of the matter is, no matter when this is on, we probably just had one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's sheesh. right. So, but so we had a mass shooting, and and there's a thing that happens in this country when it happens in certain neighborhoods, and it, mostly they do happen in certain neighborhoods. Yeah. They always say, "It this is not where this happens." This is a good neighborhood. <laughs> oh, this is man. like, why are you telling yourself uh-huh. that story? This is the only place it seems to happen. Mm. There's other kinds of shootings in other neighborhoods. Yeah. Right? But then th- we've told ourselves a story that that's where the shootings happen. Yeah. Right? But they happen in the suburbs. They yeah. happen in the, right? They happen in these places where people go, it doesn't happen here. It's like, no, that's the only place it happens. Yeah. What? Stop telling yourself that story. Mm-hmm. You're not helping yourself by telling yourself that story. Yeah. Right? Um. Yeah, there are gun problems everywhere, but yeah. this kind of like wholesale sort of mass shooting mm-hmm. happens in very specific spaces. Yeah. But every time it happens, they say, this is not that kind of a place. Yeah. It's like, well, it's in the United States, isn't it? Yeah. Then that's it's right. that kind of place. It's, but it's also funny to see the stories that come out on the other side that are engineered to get you to move on. Right. Right. Yeah. And to be like, oh, well, you say, well, here's what you say. You say thoughts and prayers. You say these things, right? You light some candles. Now let's let's forget about this. Right. Right? Yeah. And you go like, man, I mean, if you really want, like, who's going to take the stories of all these victims and start telling them in a way that makes it impossible to ignore? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, because that's our best shot at actually, like, getting people to go, this isn't going anywhere. Right. Right? Like... Um, again, that's just an example of one thing in your community. You might look and be like, man, this is BS. It's like, then study. Yeah. Study. Find a way to tell those stories in a way that people can't ignore. Yeah. You know, like, um, that's a chance. There's a chance, right? Yeah. If you want them to stick in someone's brain, because right now nothing's sticking. Right. Right. It's like, it just kind of like flies through our brains. So much stuff is flying through our brains all the time. But why does the torso and the hair stick? And why does like these other things stick? Right. And why would I say Spider-Man did that stick? Or why did we right. say Schindler's List did that stick? It's like because those people understood. You know, if I'm trying to get it in my in someone's head, oh man, I really got to figure out how to tell this story in a way that makes it impossible for you to forget. Tell the story in a way that goes. Well, I'll tell you why. Um, let me tell you about the first time. Let me tell you about the only time I ever cried at work. Right. Right. Like, like your mom, well, I'll tell you about the first time you, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'll tell you how old I was when I found out about slavery. But you go like, well, these things all stuck. And right. you got to ask yourself why. Yeah. Because boy, once you understand that, it starts getting interesting. Well, the other thing too, is just thinking about Stan Lee's yeah. most famous quote from Spider-Man, mm. right? Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. That's right. That's paraphrase because yeah. there's more, but basically that's it, right? Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. That's what storytelling is. Of course, Stan Lee is the guy who said that. Stan Lee's the guy who believed that in his stories, which is why he told the stories he told. And look right? what he did. Right? And so if you know that stories are powerful. Yeah. And you know how powerful and you know how they have shaped the world. Yeah. Like we only talked a little bit about how they've shaped the world. Yeah. Right? They've shaped oh, the entire shit. world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? If you know that. And you not you're not using it to mm-hmm. do something worthwhile. Oh, that's interesting. You're not using it. Yeah. Right. Right. You're just using it to make money or yeah. some other thing. I mean, it's it's um, it's irresponsible. Yeah. If once you know it, now it's one thing if you yeah, don't yeah. know. When you're ignorant, that's one thing. Yeah. Right. It's like oh, I didn't realize that 
you know, uh, whatever, whatever. Every time I did that, I was hurting this person next to me or whatever. Right. Once you're aware of that, then it becomes more of a moral issue, right? Where you're like, so you know about this thing and you know that you could be doing, you could learn how to tell these stories better. You could, you could do these things to push that specific thing forward and to hopefully bring down the suffering of others or whatever, whatever it, it is. is. Make yeah. their memory last, whatever the thing is for you. Cause everybody's had different things. Yeah. It's fine. Um, yeah. There's something you could do about it. Yeah. I also love it too because it levels the playing field. You know, oftentimes, and this is a story I feel like it's easy to get bite into, which is you're not significant. Oh, right. Right? And it'd be, well, you know, I don't have any money. I mean, I, whatever. It's like, no, you can write a story at your local library and you can publish it. Right. Right? You can put up a blog. You can do these things. You don't need money for You have, like, again, that's the whole point. The armature of our entire series is you're a storyteller, right? Right. And you are way more powerful than you think you are. Well, there's an interesting thing about that because once you realize this, I guess. Right. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting thing because, you know, me, I'm not I'm not a particularly religious person. Mm-hmm. I mean I you know, I have a belief system, but I, I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, at the Bible, every time God says, You gotta go do this, Moses, you gotta go do this, yeah. Noah, right. they yeah. all go, Well, I'm just some guy. Why Always. would anybody listen Always. to me? Yeah. Uh-huh. Why would anybody listen to me? I'm just yeah. some guy, right? I think that the power of those stories, religious or not religious, is that I know you think you're just someone who's not important. Yeah. But you can be very important if you're telling the right stories. Yeah. Tell, it, it doesn't matter whether you're telling them professionally or not. Either. No. Yeah. It, you know, it just matters that you're telling good stories because those stories go out into the world and they have their own life. And yeah. They exist. Whether or not you see it. Yeah. You know, doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Yeah. It doesn't mean that. Right. You tell a kid that kid lives a life a certain way. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Who that impacts people. Yep. Right. Um, or you tell a terrible story. Right. And then we're we're dealt we're dealing with problems from the, you know, 18th century because That's exactly right. Right. right? Yeah. Um, because those stories got passed down. And and it's one of those things. It's like the cool thing is if you're listening to this, you're probably, you know, in pursuit of that uh, knowledge, right? And trying to figure it out. And it's like, boy, if anything, I hope if there is ever a legacy of even just us taking the time to do these things, I hope it's that people start to realize like, oh, I can do something. Yeah. Right? And I, and I can use that kind of native uh, uh, way that we understand the world, right? Yeah. In ourselves. And now that, now that I'm starting to understand that, oh, man, I could use that. To help uh, tell the story of my food bank or tell the story of my family or tell the story of, you know, whatever the thing is that will hopefully have a larger impact, right? Yeah. Regardless of whether or not you see it, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, There's no way Stan knew, right, when he first started telling us. Like, how would he know that? How could you possibly know? There's no way to know that. Well, Rod Serling didn't think anybody would remember the Twilight Zone. Yeah. He didn't think that that, it was like, well, you know. It was fun while it lasted. Nobody yeah. will remember it. Yeah. I bet you that doctor, my my doctor, the day she said that about the the day she cried, I bet you she hasn't thought about that since. I bet that's true. That was just a thing she said. Right. And it was like, and every time somebody talks about vaccines, I'm like, let me tell you a story about, right? Right. And so look what happens. Yeah, it goes. Right? Because they, they are, they are um, viral, a good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, memes. They're memetic. Mm. They're memetic, right? They reproduce. Yeah. Stories reproduce. You tell it to me. Now I have it. Yeah. I'll tell somebody else. Yeah. Now they have it. Yeah. We tell everybody. Story whiteness. Wants- you told me how many times I've been like, you guys ever heard this? Yeah. Right? Right. It, they're memetic. They reproduce. Yeah. Right? 
and help mm-hmm. other people survive. And we don't know how far that goes. We can never know how far that goes. Yeah. It can, it, it, it happens um, horizontally across the, everybody who's alive, but it'll go, you know, it'll yeah. go into the future. Yeah. It'll just keep going. If it has survival information, it can go and go and go and go. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have stories that are thousands of years old. Yeah. You know, they because they have information in them that we yep. can use. Like Gilgamesh. That's exactly right. They last. They're helpful. Um, awesome. I know this one, this episode was a little different. Yeah. But it seemed like the more we, we talked about, like, what do we want to talk about? It was like, why don't we just really nail this and help people understand where we're coming from? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, before we've talked about before where you're like, ah, oh, people think I'm just grumpy and, you know, I don't like movies. It's, uh, no, it's because I understand how important they are. It's because I love them so much. And I, our, I think our, our hope is, as we continue the series and talk about, you know, get back, talk about movies and story structure sure. and stuff. It's like, this will at least set a little bit of context of like, why, well, I'll start getting mad about things. You'll, you'll be more composed than I am. I'm usually like, oh, that's bullshit. It's because we're going, don't they understand? They're putting stuff in the food that's not good. Do yeah. they not get it? If they don't get it, that's fine. Right. But boy, if they get it. Because remember, like when we talk about Goebbels and we talk about the guy, you know, the torches of liberty yeah. and all that stuff on Sorry, women smoking. Those people knew, and that's when it was just like, wow, right, right, yeah. What can you do if you're, you know, if if you're writing Superman? What can you do? Yes, yeah, right, that's right. When you can do, there's a lot of good you can do. That's right. Um, oh yeah, and you and you and you have no idea. All you have to do, just tell a good story. Um, and tell it well and t- and have something to impart yeah. and there's no telling how long it'll last mm-hmm. and how far we'll reach there's no telling that's right awesome thanks Brian thank you on next week's episode of You Are a Storyteller we have the first of a special two-part Q&A series on writing and directing our very own Ian Ebright joins host Brian McDonald to answer questions from you the audience Brian do you ever f- uh, feel fear about writing and if so how do you overcome that fear Oh, that's a good question. I, I'm i not sure it is something that people overcome. It's just something that people work through. Thanks for watching You Are a Storyteller. If you have any questions or there's a storytelling topic you want us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at believeagency.com. At